The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 24, 13 through 53. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, and they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, 
and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are a witness of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, Luke chapter 24 is one of the great gospel stories about the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And uh, as Hannah just read to us in this story, Jesus appears to two of his disciples who are making their way from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. And uh, incidentally, just as a, a point of information, it's quite possible although not entirely certain that the two disciples were, in fact, husband and wife. The reason for that is that uh, in the story, we're only told the name of one disciple, namely Cleopas. But in John chapter 19, verse 25, we learn that one of the, the women who was a follower of Jesus and was standing at the foot of the cross while he was crucified was a woman named Mary, the wife of Clopas. And Clopas, of course, is just another spelling of the name Cleopas. And so, uh, while it's not certain, it is possible that the two disciples were Cleopas and Mary, making their way uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. What's more important for our concern this morning is the ironic fact that they weren't experiencing much joy that first Easter Sunday. We read in verse 17 that uh, after Jesus had drawn near to them and joined them, uh, that he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And why is it that uh, Cleopas and Mary, presumably, why is it that they were so sad this first Easter Sunday? Well, uh, Cleopas goes on to recount the story of Jesus to Jesus, ironically. And uh, then in verse 21, he says, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You see, like the other disciples, uh, these two disciples were under the impression that Jesus, as the Messiah, was going to lead Israel on a new exodus, much like the exodus uh, that the people of Israel had experienced in the Old Testament. He was going to deliver them from their pagan captors, specifically the Romans, and reestablish Israel as a great and mighty nation. And he was going to rule over Israel as her glorious king in a way that would show that he's an even greater king than, than Israel's greatest king, David. And this was their understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. The irony in all that, of course, is that Jesus literally had just redeemed Israel and all the other nations and had brought all of God's 
promises to fulfillment by his life and especially his death and resurrection. But they couldn't recognize who Jesus was. They couldn't get their minds around the fact that the Messiah would actually have to suffer and die or that the Messiah would somehow rise from the dead in the middle of history instead of at the general resurrection of the dead at the end of history. And they couldn't understand what kind of kingdom the Messiah could have after his crucifixion. And so, because of these things, because they did not understand the Scriptures, they lacked joy that first Easter Sunday. That's what Jesus says explicitly. He says it's because they lacked joy, because they did not understand the Scriptures. It says in verse 25, He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And so as we're um, celebrating the Reformation and particularly thinking today about the great principle of sola scriptura, the question I want us to ask from this passage this morning very briefly is simply this. What do we need to understand the Scriptures so that we may recognize or know Jesus and have great joy. There's two things that I think this passage shows us that we need in order to understand Scripture. The first thing that we need is what I'm going to call the interpretive key to the Scriptures, which, as it turns out, is Jesus himself. So um, one of the questions I think that's interesting to ask in light of the gospel story is what exactly was Jesus doing during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven whenever he appeared to his disciples in his new resurrection body? And according to Luke 24, apparently what Jesus was doing when he appeared during that time period was pretty much the same thing that he was doing before his death and resurrection. Namely, teaching his disciples from the Old Testament Scriptures. So, for example, uh, as we've already seen in verse 27, uh, it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then notice in verse 44, after Jesus appears to the gathering of all the disciples, it says, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Right? That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So apparently what Jesus was doing here was giving the disciples what we might call a refresher course in Old Testament theology. It was a refresher course because according to Jesus, this is what he had been teaching them all along from the beginning. Which explains why Jesus gently rebukes Cleopas and Mary back in verse 25 where he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He gently rebukes them because they should have known by now about his death and resurrection. 
Because he'd been teaching them from the scriptures all along. And we see places in the gospel story where he, he speaks very explicitly about that fact. But for reasons we're going to discuss in a minute, they were unable to understand what the scriptures were saying. And at the heart of this refresher course on Old Testament theology, we might say the, the great theme at the center of this course is the fact that according to Jesus, he himself is the interpretive key that unlocks the correct understanding of all the Old Testament, right? That's what it means in verse 27 where it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then again, in verse 44, it says, this is what I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Or, John chapter 5, verse 39, before his death and resurrection, he says to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, you search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life, and it is they, that is the scriptures, that bear witness to me. So what does Jesus mean exactly when he says that uh, everything in the Scriptures were written about me, or when he says that the Scriptures bear witness to me. What, what exactly is Jesus saying? Well, I think one thing that Jesus certainly has in mind is um, those great passages of Old Testament Scripture that uh, we refer to as messianic prophecies, right? Right? Um, I'm thinking in particular of great passages like Psalm 2, which speaks of uh, God, uh, a king whom God will refer to as his son and, and, and who will be given all the nations as his inheritance. Or Psalm 110, uh, another passage that speaks of a great king who will rule over all the nations and who will be so great that even King David will refer to him as Lord. Or Daniel 7, a uh, that vision in which Daniel sees someone like the Son of Man who comes into the very presence of God and is given all authority in heaven and on earth to rule over all creation on God's behalf and who will rule over a kingdom that will never end. And then, of course, and maybe most importantly, Isaiah 53, right? That great passage which speaks of a suffering servant who must suffer and die for the sins of God's people in order to make atonement. And we know that uh, these great messianic prophecies, if you will, we know that they were a very important part of Jesus' teaching because they come up again and again in the New Testament writings and, and in the other writings of the first Christians. But, but I don't think that that's all, as important as those verses are, I don't think that's all that Jesus has in mind here. Because notice in verse 27, he says, beginning with Moses, which of course is a reference to the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then again in verse 44, notice that Jesus says 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And, and law and prophets and Psalms, that's the, the typical Jewish way of referring to what we would call the whole Old Testament. And so Jesus here isn't just saying that a few key verses from the Old Testament speak of him. He's saying that every verse in the Old Testament speaks of him. Not in the sense, of course, that every verse is explicitly a, a, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. That would be absurd. But in the sense that every verse in the Old Testament scriptures is part of one grand story, one unfolding plan of redemption that culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. And so the whole Old Testament is, is moving, is a story that is moving forward in history towards that great coming of the Messiah as the culminating moment in that story. And, and what that means is that on the one hand, because of the way in which Jesus is the culmination of the whole Old Testament, on the one hand, that means we can't really understand who Jesus himself is or what his work is all about if we don't know something about the Old Testament story. And on the other hand, it means that we can't really make sense of the Old Testament. We can't really understand what it's about and what God is up to apart from understanding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, if we believe what Jesus says here about the Scriptures, and I think we probably should if we're going to be his disciples, uh, if we believe that, it has some profound implications for the way in which we read the Old Testament. It means that whenever we're reading the Old Testament, we should be asking ourselves, how are these particular verses, how is this particular story part of the one big story of God that culminates in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah? Now, sometimes that's very easy to do, and, and, and sometimes it's more difficult to do. But as we read the Old Testament, we ought to always have in mind, like if I jump in in the book of Leviticus, I, I'm jumping into chapter 3 of a story, the, a coherent story that God is telling about what He Himself is doing in history, a story that culminates in the coming of the, of the main character, God Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus. And so, for example... Um, I was thinking of an example for this point, and I was remembering that uh, not too long ago, maybe last year sometime, I was reading through the book of Exodus. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, or if you've seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, um, well, if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, you probably know the first half of the book of Exodus, right? And the book of Exodus gets to chapter 20, where God gives the law to the people of Israel through through Moses on Mount Sinai, that's like the halfway point in the book, right? And if you press on, the rest of Exodus, like another 20 chapters, is pretty much, if you know Exodus, you know what it is, it, it's a lot of detailed descriptions about how to build the tabernacle. 
which as I was reading through it, I confess I was finding to be somewhat tedious. And I was thinking to myself, why in the world did God make half of the book of Exodus details about the building of the tabernacle? As I started to think about that, I realized, well, that says something about the importance of the tabernacle, right? (laughs) And of course, then I realized the tabernacle is the place where God dwells with his people, right? The tabernacle is the place where the people of Israel would go to offer sacrifices and to know that their sins had been forgiven. It's the place where Moses and the leaders of Israel would go to hear from the Lord that they might know his will and how they ought to live as his people in the world. The tabernacle was the constant reminder and comfort to the people of Israel that our God is with us. How do we know that he's with us? His tent's right over there in the middle of the camp. And of course, then, if we move forward, we see that, as the New Testament teaches us, Jesus is the real tabernacle, right? John chapter 1, John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What it actually says is, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, right? Because now Jesus is the place where we go to know that our sins are forgiven in a way that's much greater and much more sure than could ever be known through the sacrifice in goats and bulls. Jesus is the place where we go to hear the word of God from, from our great teacher. And we, we learn how we are to live in a way that leads us to be truly and fully human. Jesus is the, the way in which God is ultimately and finally present with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, you see. And so this is just one example of how we see that the tabernacle was preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. It's, it's part of that story that reaches its high point in the coming of Christ. And that's how we need to be reading our Old Testament. Uh, I I had a a professor in seminary who used to say that if you can preach a sermon on the Old Testament in a synagogue and still greet people at the back afterwards, you've done something wrong. All right? If we're preaching and reading the Old Testament as Christians... It ought to make a significant difference. And that's exactly what we find then in the book of Acts is what we find the apostles doing, right? So in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter preaches his great sermon on the day of Pentecost. It's basically an exposition of the Old Testament showing that the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah was foretold in Scripture as well as the coming of the Holy Spirit, which the people have just witnessed. Then we get to Acts chapter 18. and We read about this guy named Apollos who we don't know a lot about, but evidently he was an amazing preacher because it says in Acts 18, 28, he powerfully refuted the Jewish leaders in public, showing by the Scriptures, he means the Old Testament, right, that the Christ was Jesus. And then we get to Acts chapter 19, and we read that in Ephesus, Paul rented out a lecture hall called Tyrannus, the Hall of Tyrannus, And he reasoned with disciples and others there and taught them about the kingdom of God and how Jesus was the Christ day after day from the Old Testament Scriptures for two years. Where did these guys learn how to read the Bible in this way and to teach the Bible in this way? Well, Luke chapter 24 tells us they learned it from Jesus. He was the one who explained that he himself 
is the interpretive key to understanding the Old Testament scriptures. So what about the New Testament scriptures then? And then I'll move on to my second point. Well, it's interesting at the end of our passage, in verse 46, Jesus says to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. It's the Holy Spirit, right? But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then in volume two of Luke's work, which we call the book of Acts, it picks up right where volume one left off. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and those who were eyewitnesses to his life, his death, and his resurrection, and to his teaching in which he explained how to understand the scriptures and the, the purpose of God, those who were eyewitness to all that are empowered to then bear witness beginning in Jerusalem and going to the ends of the earth of who Jesus is and what he has done and how it fulfills God's great revelation in the Old Testament and what it means for our lives now as followers of Christ until he returns again at the end of the age and the new creation begins. And so this spirit-empowered witness becomes, it's preserved for us in the pages of the New Testament and becomes for us the New Testament Scriptures. And so what we, what we have in the Bible is a, a, the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus coming and His work, the New Testament looking back on Jesus and His work and, and telling us what it means and its significance for us. And so the, the whole Bible is a, the, an interpretation of human history. It's God's interpretation. It's His story of what He is doing from creation to new creation. And that story of what God is doing from creation to new creation with Jesus at the center gives us an understanding of, of why we are here and who we are and what our purpose is. It gives us a vision for how we're to live in the world that the church can then put out over against all the other competing visions that are out there, right? About this is why we're here, and this is what it means to be human, and this is how we find purpose and happiness in life. And over against that, the Scripture sets forth a story from creation to new creation with Jesus and His work at the center of it all. And embracing that story and figuring out how my little life fits into that big story, how my little story fits into that big story is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And this is what it means that Jesus is the interpretive key to understanding the Scriptures and to understanding God's purpose in history and what God is doing to redeem and renew the creation. So this is the first thing. I wanted to point out from this passage is the way in which it shows us that the interpret way Jesus shows us the interpretive key to scriptures is himself. The second thing, more quickly, I want to point out is that this passage shows us that we need also, in addition to the interpretive key, we need the inward illumination of the Spirit. 
to understand the scriptures. I want to make this point by telling a story. I had another professor in seminary who studied at Harvard University. He studied Hebrew at Harvard University with a very well-known Jewish scholar. And uh, my professor told us that when he was a student, the other students in the class, they would sit around the table with this very well-known Jewish scholar uh, at the head of the table, and uh, the, the, the scholar would say, all right, class, uh, take out your Hebrew Bibles and open it up to Exodus 33, and, um, and then he would say, um, Susan, why don't you begin, uh, read the Hebrew and translate for us? And then one of the students would begin to, you know, they would all open their Hebrew Bibles, one of the students would begin to read and translate the scriptures, but the professor himself sat there with his Bible closed. And often he would have his eyes closed as the students would read and translate, and then he would make comments on what they were reading. No, oh no, I think that's the wrong word. You read that wrong there. Or, oh, you know, that reminds me of this other verse where uh, Moses says this or that. And, and uh, my, my, my professor's comment was, this guy knows the Hebrew Bible like I know episodes of MASH. Okay, for those of you who are under 50, MASH was a very popular television show in the 1970s. It was on reruns over and over and over again throughout the 80s. So people from my generation watched every of the 256 episodes hundreds of times and knew them all by heart. The point he was making was that uh, this man had most of the Old Testament memorized in Hebrew. And yet he was not a follower of Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that he had died for his sins. He didn't believe that Jesus had rose from the dead. And I discovered the same thing when I was a religion student at Indiana University. I had several professors who, who, who knew the Bible much better than I do even now. But they did not believe. They didn't really understand the way in which the Bible is all about Jesus. How do we explain that? Well, I assure you, it's not because they lack intelligence. If you spend any time with these people, you realize that they are extremely intelligent individuals. And it's not because they lack familiarity with the, the, the writings of Scripture. They know them inside and out. Now, as our own confession states, and we spoke these words earlier, we believe the inward illumination of the Spirit is necessary for a saving understanding of the things that are revealed in God's Word. And, and that is based on what we read in Scripture in passages like this one. Did you notice that in verse 45, after Jesus tells the disciples that, this is what I told you before, everything written about me in the Law of Moses and Prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled it says he opened their minds, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. A divine work, an inward work in our hearts and our minds is necessary for us to understand and to truly believe what the scriptures reveal. Salvation is a gift of God's grace which is largely based on a correct understanding of Scripture. And that understanding, therefore, is also a gift of God's grace which He gives to whomever He chooses.
And one final point. Notice, please, that this illuminating work of the Spirit, which Jesus does directly in our passage, and then Jesus continues to do in every man or woman who comes to a saving understanding of the Word. It's Jesus who, by His Spirit, continues to open up minds and be our teacher as we read and hear the Word. But please notice that that illuminating work of the Spirit is always connected to the Scriptures. It's always by and with the Scriptures. So earlier in the passage, Cleopas and Mary, they say in verse 33, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? You see that the illuminating work of God's Spirit comes as the Scriptures are being heard. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 2. When the Apostle Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, it's not the the miraculous sign of the tongues of fire or even the ability to speak in other languages. That's not what converted people. No, we're told in verse 37, when they heard, when they heard what Peter preached from the Scriptures, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the Apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's as they heard the Word that the Spirit worked within them. And then we see the same thing again in Acts chapter 10 when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, and Peter preaches the gospel to them. And, and, and it says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And so there's two things here. Uh, on the one hand, the scriptures without the illuminating work of God's Spirit within us, are lifeless. They're powerless to bring about true and lasting change. But on the other hand, the Spirit has bound Himself to working through the reading and hearing of the Scripture. And so, and I'll close with this, as Stephen said earlier, whether you're a follower of Jesus already, or whether you would like to be a follower of Jesus. If you want to know Christ, you want to recognize Him fully and have the joy that comes from knowing Him and living with confidence and comfort and purpose and meaning as a follower of Christ. If that's what you want, then read the Scriptures. Because that joy comes through understanding who Jesus is as He's revealed in God's Word. But as you read... As you read, pray. Pray for God's Spirit to open your heart and your mind. Because if God's Spirit does not work, the Word will fall lifeless like rain on concrete, and it will not bring forth much fruit. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this great passage which reminds us that Jesus is the key and the center to all of Scripture. And also reminds us that we need Him working by His Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to understand the things that have been written for us. Lord, would You continue to cause new light to break forth from Your Holy Word. That our lives might be reformed. That we might be changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And that we might have great joy as we understand who we are and why we are here and and what our purpose is in all the things that we're doing in work and in our neighborhoods and in our families, Lord. 
as we seek to live in a way that bears witness to how good life is under your loving rule as king. Would you do that by your spirit working with your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening, and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.